Turn to Exodus 20. Turn to Exodus 20. And so this morning is the message of the freedom and conviction. Do you know what that word means? Conviction. God's word and the Holy Spirit pulling our sins to light. Bringing us to repentance and freedom. It's the blessings of a hard message. Do you see that? In heavy, hard, convicting messages that is actually God's grace and His mercy and the blessings in it. Freedom and conviction. And so if you've been here, this is our last week. This is kind of the the aftermath. This is the end of the message in our Ten Commandments. So if you've been here for our last month and a half, we started every Sunday with the Ten Commandments. And so Cody, come on up. Talking about being on stage, you thought I forgot you like your dad, and I didn't. I'm going to read the Ten Commandments. My brother here is going to recite to you the verse of the week at camp, and I want you to hang on it because we're going to mention this verse many times, and we're going to really end with it in John. So, brother, I'm going to read the Ten Commandments. You're going to recite the verse, and then you're going to pray for our time, okay? This is God's word from Exodus 20. And God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved images, any likeness of any kind that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but also showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the Lord's name, your God, in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath, church. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but on the seventh day is the, seb- is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your cattle, nor the stranger who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord God made the heavens, and he made the earth, and he made the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that the days may be long and many in the land in which the Lord God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Last week, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is of your neighbors. That is God's Ten Commandments. And we're going to connect the commandments to what we learned in camp this week. And so my brother Cody here, he was able to answer this all throughout the week. We said, what is that verse of the week? What is that verse of the week? What is that verse of the week? And my brother here always had a good memory. And so he's going to recite that to you. And then he's going to pray for our time. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, please be with this sermon today and please speak for God's sake. Thank you for letting us have a good, safe, and fun trip to Crossings and back. We need you and please help us to know you better. We put you first in everything we do in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Love you, brother. Love you, brother. Talking about being confident on stage. When he came up to the stage, he kept moving. He was like moving me away from the pulpit. I thought he was about to like, I got this. I got this, man. You're crowding me. (laughs) Great job, brother. Freedom in conviction. So I want you to remember the moment, church. One thing that we said in the Ten Commandments, we spent seven months in Exodus. And so we were rich. We were walking with the Israelites. We were in slavery with them. We saw freedom. We experienced Easter and the Passover. And now we're walking through in the wilderness. And when you get to the Ten Commandments, 
It's a phenomenal heavy message of you shall, you shall, you shall not. But at the same time, you kind of lose your sight of the story because you're in all of these standalone sermons that all work together. So I want to call you back to the moment in Exodus. So remember the people, church. They were slaves, and now they're the congregation. I think that's pretty interesting to me. And so whenever we get frustrated within the church and we're like, man, like, like, why is he, why is she, why are we acting this way? Do you know why? Because the church is filled with people who used to be slaves to sin. They were worldly people. And so now when we look at one another and go, man, like, why aren't we rising above? Because we still have it in us at times. And so when you look at the Israelites, they have been saved. They were God's people. They were blessed. But, man, they still remember slavery. And so we have these former slaves. And now who are they? They are the church. They are the congregation. And so we have Moses. Who is Moses? He's their shepherd. He's their pastor. But don't forget, he was just on his own. Who was Moses' responsibility? Just his household. He had his wife and his family. He lived with his father-in-law. He had a job. He worked nine to five. He came home. He ate a dinner and watched the game and went to bed and started it all again. And then what did God call him into? Ministry. So Moses went from just a man loving and walking with his family to leading the people. And where were the people on? They were on a journey. They were walking at their own pace. And they stop. They stop this journey in the midst of their thirst and their hunger and their frustration and the joy of being free, but the frustration of having little. And they stop for Sunday service. They stop the journey, Sunday service, they hear the message, and who's preaching? God is preaching. And what does he preach? He preaches the Ten Commandments. And so what we have in this week's text, starting with verses 18, we have the invitation. And so do you know what the invitation is? The invitation is, is after we preach, and some of you guys back in the day, y'all remember this, the pastor walking the aisles going, man, did you hear me, right? Is your heart clear? Did you hear the word? Are you moved? And people are like, oh, I feel the spirit. I feel the weight. I feel conviction, right? Some of that's been done poorly in your life, and some of it's done appropriately. But this is the invitation. This is the end of the message. This is when man responds to truth. And so what do we see? Look at verses 18. After all of those commandments that we just read... All the people witnessed the thunderings and they witnessed the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and then the mountain on flames and smoking. And when the people saw it, what did they do, church? They trembled and they stood afar off from it. So all of those boundaries, do you remember that in week one of the Ten Commandments when God says, hey, don't let anybody run up on here? It almost seems to be a mute point because everybody actually backed up. They said, hey, listen, no reason for you to put the orange cones around the mountain. No one is going close, right? They actually backtracked. And what did the people say? I find this extremely funny. Then all the people said to Moses, their fearless leader, you speak with us, and we will hear, we will listen. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. So that was the invitation. That was the end of the message on this journey Former slaves, now free, was alone, now the shepherd, was walking at their own pace. They have Sunday service, they hear the word, and how do they respond? They actually back up. They back up, they're hit with the heaviness, the heaviness of God's truth, and they actually moonwalk backwards. Here's the truth, church, and I warned you week one, the Ten Commandments are heavy. If you actually unpack them, like I know that we can frame them and have statues of them and put them on church walls or, or have them in homes. But when you spend a month and a half and you go through each and every single one of them, I warned you, week one, they're heavy. They're going to step on your toes. They're going to make you feel uncomfortable. They're probably going to offend you. You're probably going to want to defend you, Right? When you start talking about God first and priorities, that's offensive. 
Like when any time, because listen, man, like I am really trying to be faithful. But if I unpacked my whole life, it would be ridiculous for me to look you in the eyes this morning and go, hey, God's number one in all aspects of Hunter Jones's life. That's not true. I'm not perfect. I fail. I'm a sinner. I need God's grace and his mercy. And so when anybody starts to talk about God being first, that's uncomfortable. It should be. When you start talking about sex, remember that message? Money, remember that one? When you start talking about death and murder, family, being a child and being a parent, priorities, it's heavy. At some point in the last month and a half, if you were not uncomfortable at one point, either you are lost and not saved and you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, or you are in such a wonderful spiritual space that I hope to be in one day that I can't relate to. You have arrived and you have perfected all the things that I've read to you. You have no desire to defend yourself. You have arrived or you don't have the Spirit. God's Word is supposed to make us feel uncomfortable at times. Amen? It's not a bad thing. At some time, God's Word can be offensive. The Bible says it. It can offend you in your actions, in your lifestyle, in your decisions that you make. At times, you might have even disagreed with something that I said. It's normal. I've heard it before. Or you might have gotten into the car. I love this one. People will get in the car, they'll hear a message, they'll hear the word, they'll get in the car, they'll have an awkward moment with their spouse or their kids, and they'll go, hey, listen, I know what Hunter said, I know what we read, but you know what, and you try to justify it, and you point to another verse, and point to another verse, and go, well, he didn't talk about this, and you try to defend yourself. You try to rationalize the truth, because it makes you feel better. I think it's funny how man responds to hard messages. When you have hard between the eyes heavy, convicting messages, very few of us hear that, digest it, accept it, and fall to our knees at the altar. Very few of us do that. We go through different stages of trying to defend ourselves. And so, guys, many times in my ministry, I have people who have come to me who are trying to have biblical conversations when they are not ready to have those biblical conversations. But do you know why they do it? It is not because they're confident or they know the word. It's because I am going to defend myself and my decisions. And even if I am ready or not for you, Hunter Jones, I'm still coming at you. Because I'm not going to let you just attack my choices. Or at times we'll be angered. I've had people, I have preached messages. And they go, you know what? I cannot believe that man said fill in the blank, right? Or here's my favorite. We'll often say, hey, Hunter, I, I heard the truth. I understand it. I don't disagree with it. But can you tell me the loopholes of how to get out of it? I love that one. They'll go, hey, Hunter, man, like, like I heard it. I, I understand it. I don't disagree with it. But can you explain to me how maybe um, this circumstance might not apply to it and I can get around it? So I know, Hunter, that the Bible says divorce is sinful, but can you hit me with 55 minutes of how it is acceptable? Because that's what I really want to hear. So if next quarter, if we had two Sunday school classes, the Ten Commandments, how to be faithful in them. Or the Ten Commandments, how can I get out of them? I think there'd be more people secretly wanting to come to this class, right? Like, I hear it, I'm not against it, I'm not debating it, but I'd really like to know the trapdoor away from it, right? And the Israelites were no different. The Israelites were no different. They were always challenging Moses. They were always arguing with Moses. Whenever Moses did not say or do what they wanted, they always had a complaint against him, didn't they? The Israelites were a bunch of headaches 90% of the time. Moses, God's instrument, was used to bring these people out of slavery. And what did the people constantly say to Moses? You know what looks really good about right now, Moses? Slavery. They would constantly, they would berate him and argue with him and complain against him. But this is what I love about the text that we just read. All of a sudden... 
after Sunday morning service? Who do all the people want? After Sunday morning service, after spending months of arguing and complaining and bickering with Moses, all of a sudden, the only person that these hundreds of thousands of people want is Moses. And so what have they been, what have they been saying? Hey, Moses, I, yes, I check my watch when you preach after 12. Because I don't know if you realize, but service is from 11 to 12. And lunch is at 12. But all of a sudden, what is the narrative? Hey, brother, preach to 1.30. Preach to 2.30. I got peanut butter and cracker in my bag. You preach all night. Let's revival this thing up, right? Why? Why is the mood changed? You know why? Because as my brother Ben said this week, as I had him read the text and tell me, do you know why they want Moses? Because Moses doesn't come with thunder and lightning. Moses is man. Moses stands up here and he preaches and he teaches and he helps and he tries his absolute best, but man can challenge man. Do you know the scene that these Israelites were looking on the stage in which I stand? What does God's word say? They witnessed thunder and lightning and the sound of trumpet and the mountain on flames and smoke. Who's arguing against that? You know that New Age church with like the fog machines and the strobe lights? Like this is the OG version, right? Like God is speaking and the clouds are around. And do you know why they give that illustration before and after the Ten Commandments? Because it was going on simultaneously. So as God is preaching, every time he raises his voice, lightning strikes and thunder hits. And the mountain is on flames and smoke. There was no arguing at this point. God spoke, and this was his pulpit, and this was the definition of a heavy message. The people were stunned. So for you and I, I want you to imagine, because this will be a day for all of mankind. But for the moment, I want you to imagine, there will be a day where there's no more debating truth. There will be a day where there's no more being offended that the word hurt your feelings or your decisions. There will be a day where there's no more hand raising, talking about loopholes out of obedience. There will be a day where the clouds split and the heavens are shown and knees will bow and the world ends. And this is what the people felt. The people felt like I am hearing the utmost of authority and there is a weight that is so heavy that one, I couldn't carry it even if I desired to do so. God's truth is heavy, church. God's truth is heavy. However, instead of backing up and calling for man... And distancing ourselves, we are called to hear, accept, and repent in the presence of heavy truth. As man today, especially in our culture, young person, listen to me, heavier the better. But most of us don't desire heavy truth. Most of us do not want conviction in our life. Because after salvation, you and I want to hear truth of encouragement and grace and endurance and strength and stamina. And so many of us have a hard time staring at our sin even after salvation. Paul speaks to this to a young pastor in 2 Timothy. You don't have to flip, just listen to the word. Paul says, for there will be a time when they will not endure sound doctrine... But according to their own desires, because they have an itching ear, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You know what, church? The overwhelming disbelief in God has much more to do with his word and truth than it does the belief in his existence. Yeah. 
You know what I mean by that? If God's word was simply God created and God loved and God sent his son and God prepares a place, then everybody's on board. What's there not to be in love with? So why are we so offended and why do we believe that he doesn't exist and why does the world fight? You know why? It's not his existence. It's the heaviness of his word. It's the heaviness of his word that we go to war with. I heard this quote that my wife sent me when she knew the the text this week. This is in A.W. Tozer said, People often claim for the hunger of truth, that they desire it, that they want it, that they want to hear it, but seldom like the taste of it when it's served up. Is that you? Like, I want truth. I need truth. My family desires it. But when God's heavy word and truth comes to your life like it does in the Ten Commandments, do you back away from it or do you praise God for God's protection in it? This is what I noticed about man even within the church. People often are comfortable with the heaviness in certain areas as long as it's not personal. And so some of you guys, you know what your favorite message is? The message of hell. That's your favorite message. To the point when I speak on hell and I preach on hell and I talk about it, like I know who's going to text me after the service. It like it ramps up your engines. You're like, yeah, like you're in favor. Hell is real. Hell exists. You better get your stuff together. The devil's coming. You love those messages, right? Because you were brought up with someone like sitting like a coach on the one-yard line up at the altar screaming in your ear that you better get your stuff together. So you love that. However, when God's convicting heavy word gets personal, like when it's not just demons and hell and the end of the world, but when it gets specific, make God the God of your money, in the God of your marriage, in the God of your thoughts, in the God of your desires, in the God of your gifts, in the God of your time, all of a sudden I don't get those text messages anymore. Stay in your lane, Pastor. You know why? Because you made it personal to me. And so, hey, listen, I have preached messages about the world going to hell. And I will get amens, but when you start talking about the sin in a believer's life, all of a sudden those amens get very quiet. Do you know why? Because it's a heaviness that we don't desire in our life. It's a weight that we have no desire lifting. The Ten Commandments are personal. God's word is offensive and it's crushing and it's bold. But this is what I beg you to hear. And this is what Moses in Exodus 20 is telling the people as they backed away from the yellow cones. It's freeing. It's heavy. It's offensive. It's crushing. It's scary at times. But it is freeing. Stop running from it. Stop running from it. Stop fighting God's truth. Stop trying to find a way around obedience. Conviction is helpful and it leads to life. Listen to me. There is no good news without bad news. There is no gospel that doesn't address sin. The gospel is personal. The gospel is personal. The gospel is heavy It's offensive, and it's crushing, and it's bold, and it's freeing. Stop running from it. I love, and I do want you to flip here, what Paul says on the subject in 2 Corinthians. Please turn your Bibles. In a culture, 2 Corinthians 7, please. In a culture where you and I want to justify all of our actions... And after salvation, we like to believe that we are not in need of forgiveness and that all of our decisions are justified. And we back away from the weight because we don't want to be offended. Listen to what Paul says. These are wise words concerning conviction and God's heaviness. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting with verses 8, please.
Paul says, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, he's talking to the church in Corinth. He's talking about the strengths of the church, but he's also calling out a lot of sin, heaviness, heavy word. He says, I don't regret it. He says, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. It was hard. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry only though for a little while. Now I rejoice. Now I rejoice, church, that you were made sorry, but your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing. Will you highlight for me, church? That you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. I love this one. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. Think about this, church. In all of our life, lost and saved, conviction leads to repentance. Repentance leads to forgiveness. Forgiveness leads to life. That's the gospel. From when you were a lost man and were saved into many years in sanctification, the same applies. What clearing of yourself. What clearing of yourself, conviction leads us to repentance. And guess what repentance is? It leads us to forgiveness. And what about forgiveness? It leads us to life. But what does man do? When man sees that pulpit and he is faced with a heavy truth and it offends their life, what does man do? How does this not apply to me? Or I'm going to defend my actions. Or let's go back to Moses. Strong words make strong men. Soft words make soft men. You and I need the strong truth of God's word. We need conviction. We need that heaviness. Do you know why? Do you know what Moses tells them? God's heavy word, go back to Exodus 20. God's heavy word is actually a sign of his grace, mercy, and love for you and I. You know why? Because it's protecting us. Like a loving parent who has boundaries for their kids. Do you know why? Because they want to protect them. Because they love them. Because they cherish them. It's God's grace and mercy in parenting. Look what Moses says in verse 20. And Moses said to the people, as they backed away from the heavy message, and Moses said to the people, do not fear. Do not fear. I know you see the lightning. I know you hear the thunder. I know you smell the smoke. I know the heaviness. I understand. Do not fear. For God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. We are actually running from God's helpful hand in grace and mercy and protecting those that he calls his. In God's heavy word, what does he say? Do not fear, because it's fear that may be before you, so you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Another illustration of the mediator like Christ is in the New Testament. And so God's thunder and his lightning strikes to test you. And that word test, you know what it means? It literally means to grow up, to mature, to sanctify, to strengthen, to grow you. Because even in an education system, kids, listen to me, going back to school, do you know why your teachers test you? It's not to be hard on you. It's not to show you that you're not smart. It's to show you the areas of your life that you need to grow in. 
And so when someone gives you a test, you look at it, and let's say you make a 50 or a 60 or a 70, you're like, man, look at the weight of this grade. No, it is a blessing and a gift because you get to look at the test and see the areas that you need to grow in. That is what God is doing in the life of those that he calls his. And so what God's word does, it brings your sin, your missed questions to light. Why? So you can know them and so he can protect you from them. In the future. It's a gift. It is a blessing. Fear in the Lord protects you from sin. But I want you to see, church, what does the church do? What does the congregation constantly lean on? A frustration with the pastor. When they're not frustrated with the pastor, they're scared of their God. All the while being called to life. As we said here, and we're going to go into our Lord's Supper here in a minute. This is the message of salvation. When you were once lost, the same applied. We see the heaviness of you are a sinner. You are unworthy of heaven. You are deserving of death. That is about as heavy as it gets. And guess what? That heaviness of that message was the exact thing that you needed in your life in that moment. I remember being at a service recently where the man was speaking, and I talked to my kids at camp a lot about this because it always seems to be the message. Someone stands on stage, and they talk about God's love and His mercy and His grace, and they go, man, like, who wants Jesus? And guess who raises their hand? Everybody. I want Jesus. Who wants heaven? I want heaven too. Well, pray with me. What happened to the message of I need a Savior? And I need a Savior because I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior because I'm unworthy. And I need a Savior because I deserve death. Everybody wants God. Everybody wants His Spirit. Everybody wants heaven. Do you want a Savior? And for so many of us, what we would say to that is, hey, Hunter, I don't know if I need a Savior because I don't know if I'm in need of being saved. My wife and I went to a concert when we were in youth ministry. It was an awesome concert, great time, but at the end of it, they kind of had an altar call. And I was thinking, man, y'all have altar calls even at concerts, right? Really well known, thousands of people. So my wife and I are doing youth ministry, and we have all these kids with us, and all of a sudden, the man looks at the crowd, the last song, and he goes, hey, if you want to know Jesus, come up to the stage. And I was like, whoa. And then like the whole place ran to the stage. I looked at one of our kids who was saved and baptized. I go, where are you going? He goes, he said, come, right? But man, what if that singer would say, hey, if you are a sinner deserving of death, an enemy of the word who needs a savior come to the stage. How many people running? See, that's heavy. That's the heaviness of conviction. But here's the beauty. In repentance, when we run towards the conviction in God, what do we experience? We, for, we experience forgiveness. And in forgiveness, we experience life. We experience life, forgiveness, repentance, conviction is a blessing from God. The heaviness and truth of God's word is not an enemy of you. It is a blessing to you. And this doesn't end even outside of salvation. We are called to continue to abide. Last place I have you flip, go to John 15. This is what my brother Cody led us to. Do you know what that word abides means, church? We talked all week at our kids' camp about this word. Do you know what abide means? It literally means to accept or to live according to. And so we talked about that word four or five times in their small group and in our time with our kids. And the pastor there spoke about it every time, about a dozen times. We constantly were talking about John 15, 9, and to abide in God's love, which means to accept to live accordingly, right? Well, kids, this is one thing that we didn't read. So all my kids that went to camp, I want you to continue with what Cody showed us. This will lead us right into our Lord's Supper. Let's go ahead and have our praise team come up.
I want you to see this in 15.9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Now, that's where we camped out. Hang with me, church. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Do you see that, kids? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Hear me. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. What does He tell us? If you keep my commandments, if you don't run from them, defend them, rationalize them, you will live according to my love. What does he say? If you keep my commandments, if you're more worried about faith and obedience than finding loopholes, you will experience joy in my love. This is what I plead for the church in this time of prayer and seeking forgiveness. Focus today more on faith and obedience and gratitude than trying to find a way out or rationalizing or defending our sin nature. There was a day when you were a sinner and you were in need of forgiveness and salvation. And here's the truth. Even though you are saved, you are still in need of that same saving grace and mercy. You are still a sinner. So the Lord's Supper, we do two things here. We call each other to repentance. God's Word does this. Calls us in conviction, the heavy word of God. We see the lightning, we hear the thunder, we smell the smoke. It is heavy on our shoulders. You and I, we are sinners. Before Christ and after Christ, we are in need of the same grace and mercy. Do not run from the heaviness. The Lord's Supper is a call to this. It calls out our sin, not an opportunity to defend it. And so in this month and a half, if you've been offended by the Ten Commandments, if through God's Word your pastor has said something that made you uncomfortable, if the text brought you to a place where you'd have to change your lifestyle, which was scary to do, if you were uncomfortable in any way, don't run from it. Seeing it. See it as a freeing gift that God actually is leading you to life. So as we have a song here and we have part of our time seeking forgiveness, this is what I pray that you do because I will do this as well. Bow your heads. And whatever you have in your life right now, a sin that maybe you are grabbing to, a sin that you are defending, a sin that you're uncomfortable with, a sin that you are trying to justify. If you have a sin in your life, as we all do, and take this time to say, Lord, take it. I'm at, I accept the lightning. I accept the thunder. I embrace the smoke because it is not a message of scariness. It is a message of serious protection from my Father. Embrace it. Accept it. What did Paul say? Only for a little while. Only for a little while. Repentance leads to forgiveness and forgiveness to life. Let's bow our heads while our praise team sings.
of his body that was bruised and broken, the grace and the mercy and the love and the salvation that only came through God's only Son, for you and I that he calls his, we partake in the bread. So I want you to, to follow me again in the text of the week, our kids' camp in John 15. It says in 12, out of Jesus' mouth, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no, has no one than this, better than this, than to lay one's down life for his friends. You are my friends, Jesus says, if you do whatever I command you. So don't run from it, church. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you in appointing you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. You know, as I thought about this week's camp, message and I thought about Exodus 20, my brother Ben here, he was right. One reason that they were so scared and frightened, they backed away from the heaviness of God's message was the scene. Thunder and lightning and smoke and the word of God, like, like who would run up the mountain, right? It's understandable. But it was also just the weight of the reality that that was a, a weight that they couldn't lift. And so when the people of God heard this and they heard commandment and commandment and commandment, I'm sure they were scared to death because of the heaviness of the scene, but it was also the heaviness of the truth and the reality that I am a sinner. And not only have I also sinned against all of these already, I'll probably sin against them again. It reminds me of Matthew 19 when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler and the rich young ruler said to Jesus, how can I obtain heaven, right? The glory of God. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, do this commandment and do this commandment. He starts going through the Ten Commandments. And what does the rich young ruler say to him? Not only do I do these things, I've done them since I was a little kid. He says, I'm a, I'm a way ahead of the curve, Jesus. And then what does Jesus say? Go and sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. He basically says, keep them all. I know your heart. I know your sin, he attacks that. He's the heaviness. It makes it personal for the rich young ruler. And what does he do? He hangs his head and he walks away sorrowful. And then even the disciples, right? Hang. The disciples, the men who have dropped their nets walking with Christ. Are they heavy? Do they back away? Yes. And what are the disciples? The Christian all-stars of the Bible. What do they say to Jesus? And they're like, if this guy can't do it, and if all the commandments that you just named off, if that's what is required and that's what it takes, how can any man do this? It seems impossible. The reason they were scared is, is he walks away sorrowful. I know that I can't do it either, right? And what does Jesus say? With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so as we go into the Lord's Supper, we are called to repent. Every single one of us, with me in the front of the line, are sinners in need of forgiveness. Lost or saved. We need God's grace and his mercy. Accept the heaviness. Fall to your knees. God, I have sinned in my life. I repent. Because conviction leads to repentance. Repentance to forgiveness. Forgiveness to life. But here's where we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. Jesus Christ came to this earth, died for our sins, lifted the weight, carried the burden, because he knew that you and I would not be able to. And so in the Lord's Supper, we do seek the altar on our knees, but we leave celebrating because Christ is ours. That is why we celebrate. So stand. Stand with me as we close. We are going to take juice, and I am going to pray.
And as I pray, I want you to pray with me in celebration. Pray with me in thanksgiving. Pray with me in gratitude. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being my Savior. Yes, I want heaven. Yes, I want God. But Lord, I need a Savior. The only one who gives grace and mercy. So in remembrance of his blood that was shed for you and I, in the remembrance that there will be a day where God sees us not as sinner, but he sees us righteous as his son is, in the remembrance of his grace and his mercy and his love and his salvation for those that he calls his, we partake in the juice. Let's bow our heads together. Hear my word and pray to yourself. Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, when I hear the heaviness that is actually meant to set me free, I often run from it. There was a day in my life where I accepted, I ran towards, I grabbed onto the freeing message of salvation. But after salvation, there's been many times where I have felt conviction and I've actually justified. I've ran away from it. I have backed from it. Ran the other way, Lord. I seek forgiveness in that. I have many sins in my life that you are trying to protect as a good father. You are trying to love and to show grace and mercy upon me. And I've actually defended where I stand offended. So, Lord, I pray that you forgive us all. Forgive us of our sins. Bring our sins to light. Let us see them now. Don't let us defend, justify, rationale. Don't let us do those things. Let us seek grace and forgiveness in life. And the only thing that frees, and that is through your son, Jesus Christ. In your precious and in your holy name, the church says in harmony, amen.